Okay, <clears throat> I had no idea when I began to speak in Ezekiel about the shepherds uh, that I would ever carry on this long and about, about this topic, but we're going back to Zechariah chapter 11 today, and I'm going to zero in, though, on a particular phrase, and a little bit of this ties right in with what uh, Jerry was talking about this morning in Sunday school class. And um, hopefully, hopefully I'll have time and it'll, we'll get to it. But in Zechariah chapter 11, just, um, just a little bit of uh, um, rehearsal here as to where we were and what, what was going on in this chapter, God had told Zechariah, to act, to play the role of a shepherd. And in, ultimately, in actuality, he was playing the role of the Messiah and what the Messiah would do. But he was really here just playing the role of a good shepherd. And we've talked about the good shepherds, the bad shepherds, the false shepherds, and so on, and uh, what was going to happen and all these sorts of things. But we saw there where in verse 4, where the Lord my God says to Zechariah, feed the flock for slaughter. And he says, whose owners or buyers slaughter them and feel no guilt, who sell them and say, blessed be the Lord, and so on, for I am rich and their shepherds do not pity them. And we saw that he was teaching, taking on the role of a shepherd, a good shepherd, teaching the people, and, of course, nationally, they rejected him, just like they rejected the Lord Jesus. And they did not accept his words. They did not accept the fact of who he claimed to be, the coming Messiah, and that he came in fulfillment of the prophecies of all the Old Testament prophets. And so when we come down to verse 7, in that verse... Zechariah was summing this up, and he said, So I fed the flock for slaughter, in particular, as the New King James translated it, and we noted that there was a little variation there between uh, some texts as to what it actually says there. Some say, verily or truly, uh, I fed the flock, in particular, or truly, or with certainty, the poor of the flock. And that's what I really want to, us to zero in on this morning and notice that phrase, the poor of the flock. Because, as I said, it was the nation that rejected Zechariah's message, and it was the nation that rejected the message of the Lord Jesus. But it was the poor of the flock, this little believing remnant that held true and that clung to faith. As a matter of fact, and you don't find this very often in the commentators who will tell us what these things are supposed to mean, but I found one that really that nailed it, in my opinion, and said that um, these are the ones that he gave his attention to, just like Jesus did. He gave his attention to the one who had the eyes to see, the ears to hear, 
and pay due attention. And how do we know that? Well, remember back down in verse 11 where we we noticed there, he said it was broken on that day. That is the covenant that God had made with them because they rejected Zechariah's message. The covenant was broken, and I like this, on that day. There was a particular time. And then he goes on to say, thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. The poor of the flock. Who were then the poor of the flock? Well, number one, we can say at the very least, it was those who knew it was the word of the Lord. Now, if the whole nation possibly knew it was the word of the Lord and they rejected it, that's a possibility. But the likelihood is is they did not recognize it as the word of the Lord. That it was just the words of a man. And so they turned it down, rejected it, spurned it. But the poor of the flock, the opposite. They knew that it was the word of the Lord, and they accepted it. This believing remnant, it's this believing remnant, and it was for their sake that the, that the good shepherd, Zechariah, took the staffs called beauty and bands in order to feed the flock. Now, beauty, we said, means something like grace, favor, pleasantness. Bands meant to unite or union to bring together, and of course, that's, that's exactly what the Lord wants out of the, the believing remnant. He shows them favor, and he wants them to conduct themselves in unity, in union, in harmony. Now, though all the people were being fed, all the nation... It was the greater part of the nation, that is the nation as a whole, that rejected the shepherd and the poor of the flock accepted the message. You know, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, said David over in Psalm 27 and verse 4. He said that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of the Lord. Same word. And to inquire in his temple. Now David, of course, being a fitting type of the poor of the flock, because that's exactly where he was drawn from. And he was not only drawn from shepherding and being associated with sheep, but God elevated him and raised him up to a very high position in Israel. As a matter of fact, to the ultimate position under God himself. And David here in this psalm is just pouring out, exposing, being very transparent in his heart. Um, and, And it lets us know why God used David the way he did. Now, Having said that, I want us to look at some passages, some verses in Scripture that talk about what it means to be poor. 
And we know that the word poor, even as we use it, can mean far more than just poor and materially. We can be poor in our circumstances. We can be poor in our spirit. We can be harangued, harassed, depressed, and so on, and just feel like we're beaten sometimes because of the way that we're being treated or sometimes because of the way the world is treating us or sometimes the way our fellow believers are treating us. But you need to know and you need to really see in Scripture that God makes a distinction between the poor of the flock and all the rest. And he sets them apart. And he treats them differently. And he's delighted with them. He takes great favor. He takes great joy in bestowing favor and grace upon the little flock, the poor. Over in, in Zephaniah chapter, or excuse me, let me go to Isaiah chapter 11 and chapter, verse 4. But with righteousness, it says, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Now, these words that I'm reading to you, either the word poor or the word meek is going to be the same word poor over in Zechariah. And when we come to the Septuagint, the Greek translation, it uses the same word that we find in the New Testament, in particular here in the Sermon on the Mount. In, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Over in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 12, I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 4 through 6, Jeremiah said, Surely, he said, these are poor They are foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. I will go to the great men and speak to them, for they have known the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. With a bit of sarcasm, he says that. And then he says, but these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Now that word bonds is the same word as bands over in Zechariah. Beauty, well, at least the new King James says bands. Does the King James say bonds? I didn't, I forgot to check it to see. But it's the same word. And this is what the great nobles, the great ones that Jeremiah was turning to, says they've broken the yoke and they've burst the bonds. Therefore, he says, a lion from the forest shall slay them, and a wolf from the desert shall destroy them. A leopard will watch over their cities. Everyone who goes out from there shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many. Their backslidings have increased. Now, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. 
the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, this, it is so interesting. To no one's surprise, I'm sure, that the message of the prophets in the Old Testament is the same message that Jesus proclaimed and that the apostles and, 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 and the other writers of the New Testament proclaimed words that fit just exactly what they had to say with respect to the nation as well as the condition of the church today. Verse 25, he says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Think of that poor, the poor of the flock, And those who were doing the buying and selling and saying, blessed be God, he's made us rich. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So we could just say, These are the things they were doing, obviously, in the flesh and not according to the Spirit of the Lord. Zechariah chapter 9, just a couple chapters before this, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know that word lowly? If you, it is the same word translated poor over here in chapter 11. And if you look the meaning of that word up, it doesn't mean he was without money. It means that he was poor in spirit. One who was, was uh, depressed. Depressed in the sense of not being accepted, the message being rejected, just like the sheep who are scattered and broken and needed, needing uh, of a, someone to heal them and to tend to their diseases and minister to them. And then we find also you know, in the Septuagint, if, if you need any more, they use the same word, the Greek word, in the Septuagint to translate that same word. In Zechariah chapter 11, where he says, the poor, the lowly. In other words, if we use the same translation as in the, in the New Testament, if we saw this as the lowly of the flock, in particular, the lowly of the flock. How does it feel? How does it feel to be the lowly of the flock? 
you know, sheep don't, you know, if you're thinking of a herd of sheep, you don't particularly think that the ones that are spotted or the ones that have blemishes or the ones that are what we would call the runts, they didn't grow very big, and you know, they don't take notice of such things. But you and I do. If we're at work, our coworkers, and there's someone there who doesn't seem to fit in, they just seem to take a more lowly place, maybe not voluntarily, but because they get pushed into it by those around them. It happens in school all the time. And they pick on the lowlier ones. And they push. And it was Ezekiel says, you go like this and you butt. And you push them out of the way. That's the poor of the flock. But they were the ones who knew the word of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 5, Jesus said, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. A direct quotation from Zechariah, uh, uh, Zephaniah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9. Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 16, Jeremiah says this, he judged the cause of the poor, same word, and the needy, and then it was well. He judged the poor and the needy, and then it was well. But then he says, was not this knowing me? There's a question mark. Was not this knowing me? To properly judge the lowly? We'll catch this in another context, but the same word again. 1 Peter 3 and verse 3, Peter's talking about the conduct of the wives, and he says, don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair and wearing gold and putting on fine apparel. He says, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. Now, that's the positive side of the poor of the flock. That's the positive side of being a lowly one, is let it be the hidden person of the heart. He says, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle, now there's our word, gentle, a meek, a poor and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. We should take joy and we should really be glad that we're the poor of the flock. Or, as I hope that we get time to look at it in Matthew 25, the least of these. Or, as Jerry brought out in his lesson, he didn't, this is, wasn't the purpose of his, but it was in there. Little children. 
unless you become like a little child, you'll in no wise get in the kingdom. It's not a free-for-all. God was taking special note of the poor of the flock. And he does so regularly throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. The believing remnant. Zephaniah chapter 3, Woe to her, he says, who is rebellious and polluted. Now, of course, he's talking about the nation of Israel. And he says, To the oppressing city, she has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to God. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone until morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous in her midst that he will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust shows no shame. Do you remember what, he, what these unjust back in Zechariah 11 said? The ones who were selling their own brethren and said, Blessed be the Lord, for he has made us rich. And he tells us there, they don't feel any guilt. None. No guilt. Back over to Zephaniah in chapter 3. He says, therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger, all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. And in that day, you shall know, or you shall not be ashamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you no longer shall be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave in your midst a meek, a poor, or afflicted, and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. I will leave in your midst a poor, meek, humble, afflicted, all those are translations of that one word, people. But you remember back there in Matthew 5, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, the poor, the afflicted, and the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. So, What are we to take away? What should we observe, as it were, from all of these things that the Lord has to say about 
the little things. Well, you remember, he said, don't despise the little things. One thing that I took note of, I just happened to think, you know, the Lord didn't say one single thing with these poor about knowledge. About reading more, studying more, gaining more. It was all about their heart. All about transparency. All about humility. And being meek. Matthew chapter 23, he said this, but you do not call, but you don't be called rabbi. And the word rabbi there means master, or another one said it means the great one. And all that could do is make me think about all the people that like that appellation on the front of their name, doctor. Doctor, so-and-so. Matter of fact, I got a poem at home. I gave, I showed it to you, didn't I, Ken? About the doctor. I have to come in. I have to read that to you sometime. It said, "Don't." The title of it is "Don't Call Me Doctor," and and it's a takeoff on this this very thing right here. He says, "Don't don't be called Rabbi, Great One, Master, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren." You see, this all comes back. <laughs> Ties right in with what Jerry was teaching us this morning about brothers. Brothers and sisters, of course, in this context, we're all together. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And then he says, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. So why would it pay to be exalt ourselves now when we will be humbled later? And he who humbles himself, if we do it now, will be exalted. Well, wouldn't you rather knock that eye out, chop that hand off now so that you could be exalted Later, it'll be worth it. Jesus had so much to say about this topic. He said, when you enter into a banquet, what? Don't go up and look for the best seat. Don't, don't try to get up here where all the head honchos are. He said, get, get one down there at back. And then, if the master of the ceremony would come back there and say, hey, come on up here. We've got a seat for you up here. You let someone else do the exalting. But towards yourself, you do the humbling and take the meek and the lowly place. But guess what he said about to the scribes and the Pharisees who did that very thing? He said, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. 
for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. That's a a deplorable condition to be in. When men are actively keeping the humble and the meek of God's saints from entering his kingdom. Over in Matthew chapter 25, there's a a lengthy passage there, and I won't try to do the whole thing here this morning, but I do want to zero in on one particular thing that I think is important here. Beginning in verse 31, he says there, when the Son of Man comes to sit or excuse me, comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And then he goes into this lengthy uh, uh, teaching regarding how he's going to gather the sheep, the nations, and, and he's going to distinguish among them the way a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he's going to set the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And then he tells those on his right, he invites them to come enter the kingdom. Blessed are you, inherit the kingdom. Why? Why? Well, because when I was thirsty and you gave me drink and I was a stranger... You took me in, I was naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And they said, when did you do that? When did we ever do these things? (laughs) And the the, the Lord Jesus said, um, uh, he says, the king will answer and say to them, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren. You did it to me. Now there's an awful lot of disagreement about who the least of these are in this passage. But I think that Jesus, if you look at the broader context, and if you back up to chapter 18 where Jerry was this morning about the little children... Let's back up there just for a moment. Keep your finger in 25 because we'll, we'll come back and look at it again. But in verse eight, in chapter 18, rather, verse 1, notice the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? When you talk about the poor of the flock, we're talking then about ultimately they're wanting to know, well, then if... <laughs> If we're the little flock and we are of little faith, then who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children. Now, that doesn't mean converted there doesn't mean get saved, as we commonly think. Converted means to turn, change, and become in spirit, like a little child. 
humble, poor, meek, pure in heart. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And then over in, well, we had these verses down in 7, 8, and 9 about your hand and your eye and all this causing uh, to offend you. Uh, it is better for you to just get rid of those things than to be cast into age-lasting fire. But notice in verse 10, he says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven... Their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. You know, there's going to be privileges in heaven because of those who were lowly and humble and meek and of a tender spirit as opposed to the haughty, which the scripture says, I hate. God says, I hate that haughtiness. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And we saw that word lost previously in connection with Zechariah chapter 11 and Ezekiel chapter 34 in particular, who the lost were. And he told, he told, uh, um, Zacchaeus, the son of man, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then in Luke chapter 15, in that parable of the lost sheep, he gives us another illustration about how out of a hundred sheep, One goes astray, the Lord goes searching for it. And he brings it back. And about the rejoicing that takes place in heaven over the recovery of that one lost sheep, or the lost coin, or the lost son, all talking about the same thing, all speaking to us of God's joy. And the delight in him when he takes the little things, the foolish things, the base things, the insignificant things of this world, and then he's, he, he exalts them and lifts them up. And he takes joy in that. I, I'm trying to, I try to just imagine. I mean, I know that we get joy out of certain things. We... we we buy something for somebody that maybe has never had something before and we just say, hey, I just want you to have that and the joy that comes over their face over, well, much like the joy that you might have if I was to give these away, which I won't. <laughs> I, just, I just want to, you know, what I want us to see this morning and I think what, Scripture is trying to teach us and tell us is that God's delight is in 
the willful humility and meekness and the joy that comes to him from raising those up. I think about Hannah back there in 1 Samuel chapter 2. God is able to take that which, which rolls down to the bottom of the dung heap. Now, I've, I've seen a few dung heaps on a farm. Not a pleasant place. But he takes what's down there at the bottom, and Hannah says he's able to raise it up and put it right up there on top. And the Lord delights in that. And what a joy it would be, you know, if we all functioned and lived on that plane every day. Every child, every mom and dad, and every shepherd. If I could only do that. What a worthy goal to aspire to in 2016 knowing that it's going to prove to be a great, great benefit, far more than we could ever imagine. There's nothing, there's nothing out there in the world that they can offer us that's going to make up the difference or be greater than. It will be worth it all. It will. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice with gladness in our hearts because of the joy that comes to you when you look upon the poor of the flock, those lowly, humble, meek ones who believe your word in simplicity and in truth. And I pray, Father, that we as a congregation, we as an assembly, and we as the body of Christ would rejoice in that and that we would so live out our lives before you that we could know with certainty, like Paul and Peter did, that there's coming a day when they will be justly rewarded for that. And that you promised to treat the poor and the needy with just judgment. Thank you, Father, for giving us these words of encouragement to lift our spirits, to give us joy and gladness in our hearts as we live out our lives before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.